hi and welcome to Authorise, the podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier, another fascinating author for you to meet in just a couple of moments. But a reminder about our podcast partners, CSCG. The financial world, by gee, does that move quick and things continue to keep on moving at a very furious rate and keeping up with it is exactly what CSCG do and do it so well so as that you don't have to, so as that uh, you can sit with them and uh, plot out uh, your financial goals, work out where you want to go with your finances and they'll help you make it all happen because they have the expertise. All you have to do is give them a call and have a chat to them. That's simple. Double nine seven four eight triple three. Jump on the website cscg.com.au. No matter what the area of finance is, they have people who know all about it and can help you out, and they're there to help you. There to make your financial goals come true. So give them a call. Double nine seven four eight triple three. Jacinta Parsons is a well-known name to Melbourne radio listeners. She's a broadcaster with the ABC and has been for a number of years now. And also this is her second book, her first one, Unseen, The Secret Life of Chronic Illness, detailed uh, Jacinta's own personal challenge uh, with illness. Uh, And this new book she's got is a beauty. It's called A Question of Age. It's about women, it's about ageing. And it's about the forever self. And uh, Jacinta is obviously a very, very interesting person, a writer, a speaker, uh, a broadcaster. And uh, this is a terrific book. And uh, let's find out all about it and how she put it all together and what it's all about. Congratulations. Lovely. It's a big, big effort to put a book together. It's a huge effort, isn't it? It's a big um, and wonderful, expansive experience to have the writing and then delivering of a book, I feel like um, pregnancy and birth almost, you know, two very separate experiences where you're able to sort of sit down and really embody kind of some um, thinking around an idea and really develop through it um, as a human as well as, you know, as a, as a writer. Yeah. So I absolutely love it. Yeah, I, I, I under, totally understand that. Totally relate to that. And it is like it is like producing a child in a way that you're so proud of. It. And I saw a lovely uh, social media post you you did of uh, of the book uh, in front of a stage in a, in a window in a bookshop. And I thought, yeah, that's exa- that, that is. It's like it's like it's your proud child sitting there, and you want everyone to look at it. Yeah, and you are as nervous for their life and what will come, <laughs> and you know, as you are for your own children, I guess. So the obvious first question is, why did you feel the need to write this book? Well, I actually didn't feel the need initially. I, um, I had an experience, which I've written about in the book, where I was at a bar. I met this beautiful woman, you know, just normal kind of when you meet strangers in a bar and you end up getting along really well and you end up divulging life philosophies and all that sort of stuff, having this wonderful conversation with her. And then um, she said to me, oh, I wish you were my mum. And I realised in that moment how I felt and perhaps how I was um, looking to the outside world had made a shift that I was unaware of, this Mm. idea that I've aged in a way that I didn't actually recognise the world would see me as. So it actually began there. Um, Publisher from uh, my publisher, Catherine Milne, got in touch and said, I think I really want you to write a book on ageing from that story that I wrote an article about. But from there, it sort of became about much more about trying to find out the origin and an understanding around why women feel so cross um, as we age and sort of going back into that story and thinking about that really what is what came of the book in the end. 
Now, you make a really uh, a, a pertinent point at the start, saying it's not a self-help book or in many ways not even a helpful book. Um, but but you you want to sort of get behind all the, the lies that we've been told about ageing, that, that you feel it's been a complete sham in many ways? Well, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think we find that with um, a lot of our experience of living. You know, I think that this goes across so many aspects of the way that we've been told it should be. We've seen a dramatic shift in the way that we age now. My grandmother compared to my mother, who's a grandmother, are very, very different in terms of the way they've approached their aging. It's like like we've enabled ourselves to let go a little bit of the roles that we were told for a long time is who we are when we age. But we're still holding a lot of baggage around aging. You know, the idea is that we um, are less vital, our utility is less required, our um, involvement in the world, our attractiveness, our capacity to do things is lessened. All of those things uh, we carry with us as kind of a fait accompli almost. And I think, you know, we're definitely on the embarking upon it to really shift those ideas. But I think this is what we need to challenge. Before we go anywhere else, we're thinking about aging, it's just to really look at what were we sold as this idea? The concept of, you know, stop acting like a two-year-old and grow up and all those things, is that is that all part of that, that process that is is literally hammered into our head about how we should act at a certain age? Is that all part of this? I think so. I think it's also you reach a point um, of vitality when you are... Um, when you are young, so, you know, it's usually your midlife in some way where it starts to go the other way. So we've sort of been told that old people are not really very important to us in our Western culture. We put them in homes. We um, we laugh at their bodies. You know, all the sorts of things that that's the sort of stuff that's been ingrained to us. And as you're growing up as a young person, you kind of have a sense that old people is something else. That's another person. They've always been that way. I think it's a little bit of a shock for us to realize we are also, you know, old people in training. So what does it mean to be um, a continuous person as well, not someone that suddenly is different? So as you quite rightly point out in the book, you're not necessarily, you haven't necessarily found the answers, but you may have found the right questions to ask and a whole lot more questions to have asked. Yeah, I think um, what comes when we go deep into these ideas of what being older is, um, you know, even the ideas around wisdom and age and the things that that we've been told around that. I think there's an enormous truth to it, but I think that wisdom or aging with um, a shifted perspective is actually more now about humility and understanding that it's questions, not answers, that really we are seeking as people as we get older. And I think for me, I sort of did set out in that naive kind of journey of thinking I probably knew the answer. You know, let's embrace it. Let's all feel good about it. Let's find a way to undo ourselves. But really, it's far more complicated. And I think I sort of rang my publisher near the end and said, I actually can't. There's no need ending here. I'm Uh so sorry. I have no answers to the questions I've proposed. But hopefully that's the point, is that we begin to talk in these wondering ways with each other around as individuals and as communities, how we think about these topics. Yeah. There's an enormous amount of starting points in the book. I mean, just as, sim- as simplistic as having the little girl flowing through your body still is is a starting point, isn't it? Yeah, it's a beautiful um, revelation, I think, for me. The idea that, you know, um, when you ask anybody, how old do you feel on the inside yeah. compared to how old you are chronologically or how old you look, you feel like you look like, 
And actually, there's been surveys and research done into this, and people will often account for feeling about 20 years younger than they actually um, are on a piece of paper or how they look. And so that's fascinating to me that we um, have sort of been told that there is an external self that is something that we don't really align with. So what's going on there in terms of that shift and sort of also thinking about the people that we've been through our whole lives, we sort of compartmentalize it. You know, you as a little boy, you as a teenager, you as whoever in the world, we see them as sort of these separate selves. But of course, they're alive inside of us. You know, that little girl is the same as the older woman. She's just gone through experiences to develop who that is. But that spirit, I think, is really important to recognize as being the same. Yeah. Who do you want to read this book? Um, I'd love an array of the generations to read this book. Obviously, it's geared toward women, and it's the point of it for me has been really just to not answer questions but ask them and kind of find a way to explain, uh, to find some kind of um, words around the rage, I think, that we feel so that we can move through it productively or use it productively. So I'm hoping um, younger women and older women will come together around this. I also hope, obviously, uh, people who are not women will also read it because I think there's a huge amount of insight that we can get from each other around the way we've been gendered. This isn't innate necessarily. It's not that we are different necessarily, but the way we've been treated in our society and all the ways that we know are our gendered life and lived experiences. I just think getting to understand each other like this and, and showing compassion for that difference is really important. Rage is a, is a very volatile word. Are you, are you comfortable with, with that being the word that, that you use to describe some of the emotion that, that happens around this? Yeah, I'm actually really comfortable with it because I think when we really pull apart what that feeling um, has been born of, it's actually really serious stuff. Yep. The inequity um, in the world, and especially for older women, things like you know the largest growing cohort of homeless people in this country is women over the age of 55. Um, we see the outcomes and we've seen them publicly around um, sexual abuse and violence against women. Yep. You know, these are real things that the, the um, life expectancy of our First Nations older women. All of that stuff, Actually, there is a real purpose for rage, I think, here. Rage is that sense, I think, of inequity, that feeling of, um, it's not anger. There is something really moving about the word and the idea of rage. And I just think it's a justified emotion when we're looking at very, very serious outcomes for women in our community. I think probably the, the point I was trying to make is there is a difference between rage and anger. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and that's how I feel about it. I think anger is something that doesn't move necessarily, and I don't think it's always productive, and I don't think it always has a purpose. But rage, I mean, and this is semantics, we could probably yeah. argue the same the other way, but I think the way we use rage, I think, is to sort of show um, that it we wish for it to, we will do action for it to um, desist. You know, there is there is a really important movement around rage, a sense that, we need to do something about it, I think. That, that's sort of how I read it and I think how it's felt when women describe rage. It is just, I've hit a point and this is not okay anymore. Yeah, yeah. The writing process, I mean, in reading how you went about writing this book, everything from listening to albums to walking around cemeteries. 
Yeah, I love writing. I'm sure you totally understand that. I just think it's such a a um, privileged, wonderful experience to sort of sit into something and really um, get into um, an idea that you get time and, and um, space to explore. So yeah, there's you know Nat Bast is a um, Australian composer, and I often you know really seek out that really beautiful um, composition, usually neoclassical music, and one of her albums called Hope. I would recommend anyone to listen to for anything that you sort of want to find time and space to explore. She's an absolutely beautiful composer, and we've got a lot of great Australian composers. So yeah, just kind of shouting out to to those collaborators, I suppose, in our creative world. But also during, uh, this was partly written during our lockdowns and here in yeah. Victoria particularly, we, we really did go through those. And I spent a lot of time walking through the beautiful Melbourne Cemetery, which I hadn't really spent a lot of time in, but the quiet, the contemplation, but also the reference to our death, I think, <laughs> that the cemetery will always bring us was also um, a really important aspect of writing this book, thinking about mortality. Well, it's the full stop on everyone's sentence, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's a really strange thing that we think it's a comma and really coming to terms with a full stop is a really big part of humanity, isn't it? Where you you have to you have to reckon with it um, and whether that happens close to death or whether it happens through a process. My other book was about illness that I've written about having chronic illness and, of course, that expediates um, the kind of contemplation of mortality and fragility for me when I was younger, you know, to really kind of reckon with how scared we are of our failing bodies and the fragility that we have. But that's what age can also offer us, this wonderful kind of exposure to fragility. And what does it actually mean? Who are we if our bodies don't work the way we want them to? Is old a word that you're comfortable with? We're talking about words that are, you know, comfortable. When, when do you get old? When do you feel old? Are you old? It was interesting. I was uh, on a panel yesterday with Jane Caro, who we know is a great advocate in this space. And she um, feels the same way I do, that we, you know, if we say, oh, I'm old, people say, oh, no, you're not. Oh, you look wonderful, you know, whatever. But when has old suddenly become a slight, you know, and it's a really interesting thing to reflect upon this idea that saying you're old is somehow demeaning you. Isn't it a good thing? Isn't, you know, being older and old, something we really need to reclaim as something positive. So it's those kind of really inherent ideas we have about aging that are so part of our fabric that being called old is an insult is the stuff that we really have to kind of challenge and wake up in ourselves and decide whether we agree or not with those ideas. Yeah, <laughs> that, is, that is a really interesting way. I've got to ask you because it, it, it is topical as we, as we record this. Did the Queen age well? I think she aged absolutely well. There felt like a real acceptance of her age, um, which I think is part of this. But we age in whatever way we feel like it. I think, you know, I reflected in the book around um, eldership as well as, a, as opposed to older. I spoke to Dr. Lois Peeler, who is a yorta yorta woman. And the first Sapphire, the, the film was based on her life. Yeah. And she became the NADOC Elder of the Year. And so for me, I just sort of think about those ideas. How do we embody the ideas of what life has meant for us and how do we pass that on and share that with younger generations? So I think the idea of elder is a really interesting one and I'm sure we could say that uh, from everything we understand of Queen Elizabeth, 
that that's, that's a truth for her too. But I much prefer reflecting as well on some of the great Indigenous leaders in that way as well. Yeah. A uh, question that uh, was posed in a, another book that I talked to an author about recently and I found fascinating and it sort of fits in here, is what would the older you, the you now, what would you thank the younger you for? I think um, there's so much to be thankful of for our younger selves, the risks that we took, the fun that we had. Um, I thank my younger self for that. I thank my younger self for exploring the world the way I did. And I think my younger self can teach my older self a lot about that. You know, like we often think we, and we do, we do improve and we do evolve. But some of the beautiful things that we knew innately as our younger selves are the real truth of us. You know, the the mucking around, the not taking it too seriously, the not getting bogged down in the realities of life that come to us when we get older. So I think um, I would really reflect on that girl and be very um, grateful for what I've learnt from her. Yeah. The uh, the great expanse of the forever self where you, the outer change is not changing the, the inner. When, when And that, that, that moment that you had that sort of, uh, I guess, encapsulates this book in many ways where, you know, you were talking to that woman in the bar and, and she clearly was not seeing you as you thought she was seeing you. That's... And when I talk to people, I still think I'm 30, but, you know, they're looking at a 60-year-old man talking. I'm thinking, why are they looking at me like that? Why, is it, why, why are you getting off the chair for me on the tram or the train? You know? Please, hey, I'm a young kid. What are you talking about? Exactly I right. know. I think, I think that's really important, and I think we just need a much more diverse exposure broadly about what aging looks like. It looks like a whole different – like it's not one thing, you know, as a 60-year-old man. You are a 30-year-old man. One of my favorite collaborators in the world, I do a radio show with Brian Nankervis, oh, yes. who is 67, I think 66, I don't want to get that wrong. But he is basically like a 20-year-old, very mature human. Like there is no, He's not a child, but his desire for joy and love and play is unmatched. And he is such an important reference for me around aging doesn't look a certain way. You still work, you enjoy life, you have a play, you um, you embody that younger self all the way through. So he's a really important person to me in that exact way that you described, that younger self can still exist. Yeah. What about our, our kind of um, our obsession with the physical part of it and, and you know, uh, the plastic surgery and liposuction, all the, all the things that we go through to try and make ourselves, is that is just, just part of the facade of you know, the ridiculousness of, of looking at ageing? Yeah, I think it is. But I also really um, caution that kind of, for me anyway, and for other women, we can be fairly judgmental around how people decide to manage the experience of ageing. I think what's really important for us to remember is that we're in a culture that has demanded and awarded people for being young. You get jobs, you get opportunities, you get um, you are treated very differently to when you turn when you become older. So don't begrudge anybody from the experience of wanting to reduce the impact of that in their lives. But yes, it is folly, isn't it, that we mm. have built a world around this idea of what it is to be worthwhile because you look young. I mean, it is just when you really pull that away, it's so absurd and and it makes no sense. But we, and that's sort of, I guess, what, I, what we're talking about in terms of what you get convinced about when you're young, that 
that it is valued. I mean, there is no question that youth culture is powerful and it remains so to this day. So I think, you know, I sort of feel very much like I just want to support especially the gendered experience with this. Women have far more pressure around this, I think, than men. Men have different pressures, definitely, mm. and, and go through similar stuff. But I, don't, I haven't lived as a man, so I wasn't able to speak about it. But, you know, I think, um, I think we just have to be very mindful to make sure that we are supporting women to choose the way they wish to do this. Jacinda, thanks so much for your time. Congratulations on the book and continue to age gracefully. Thank you, my dear. You too. You are a 30-year-old man inside that body, I promise you. (laughs) Somewhere in there there's one. There might even be two or three of them. Um, (laughs) Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kevin. My thanks to Jacinta and obviously looking forward to uh, what the next body of work will be that uh, that you'll bring to us. A Question of Age is the name of this book and it is available around all your bookstores around the place. So make sure you grab a copy of it. Uh, it is a terrific one from ABC Books. And of course, Jacinta, you can hear on ABC Radio uh, of an afternoon. That is uh, this edition of Authorised, the podcast. My thanks to our podcast partners, CSCG. As I said, if you've uh, got financial goals and the uh, they keep moving the goal, Goalposts on us, don't they? Uh, well, CSCG know where the goalposts are, know where they're moving and where they've been, uh, and they'll be able to help you out. So uh, give them a call on double nine seven four eight triple three. Jump on the website cscg.com.au. Wherever you found this podcast, there's a whole range of other authorised podcasts that you can have a listen to with a whole bevy of uh, terrific authors that we've spoken to over the weeks and months that this podcast has been going. Some really fascinating people uh, that I'm sure you'll enjoy having a listen to. So do that. Until the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Read a book. 